Okay, so at this time we'll hear our first message. It'll be brought to us by Mr. Reg Noland. It is entitled, Precious Stones in Scripture, Part 1, Stones in Breastplate of the High Priest. I'm really trying to win the award for uh, longest title. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Um, okay. Have you ever bitten off more than you could ever chew? It's kind of like a, a, a chunk of roasted lamb or goat that seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger the more you chew, unlike beef that eventually dissolves or get cut up into small enough pieces that you can swallow it. Such is the case with this topic. Uh, when I started this project, it's going to be a simple show and tell to acquaint you guys with the precious stones that are uh, in Scripture. And I brought uh, three sets here. I'm going to pass around and let you actually examine the stones themselves here in a few moments. Um, but this topic soon became bigger than, than I could handle in one, one message. So I'm going to have to break it up into at least five pieces. <laughs> at least five pieces. And um, so today we'll start with the, uh, due to the constraints and the scope of my topic, you'll get the first installment of uh, Precious Stones in Scripture, covering only the introduction to the Precious Stones and the stones in Aaron's breastplate. Now, when all the silicon dioxide uh, crystals run out of the hourglass, then you'll, I'll have to stop and continue at a later date. Part two will be on the 31st of this month. And if you want a repeat of the whole thing, I'm going to be doing a seminar during the feast on the, the breastplate. Uh, so when I was in the, a young boy in the scouting program, I developed an interest in rock collecting as part of uh, the, my work toward my geology merit badge. However, my interest eh, in lugging around uh, huge bags of rocks waned during my later high school and college years. Uh, but then in my third year of college, I had a roommate named Marvin, uh, who was very into rocks and lapidary. That's a technical name for jewelry making. Um, who revived my interest in rock collecting. Now, so on the weekend, Marvin, his girlfriend Janine, and I would pack up the car and go down to the Brazos River Basin and dig up for rocks, agates, petrified wood, geodes, uh, opalized palm wood, whatever we could find. Okay, Marvin was an art and photography uh, major and had a true talent for making jewelry out of just ordinary rocks. He could take a plain, plain old ordinary rock, put it in his rock tumbler, and let it tumble there for about, oh, three very noisy weeks and uh, turned it into something that's really a beautiful gem. Um, I could take those, make them shiny and semi-precious gems, almost suitable for jewelry. I hadn't thought about that experience for years. Um, suddenly, I, I was reading about the use, God's use of precious stones in Scripture, and I realized I should know this, but I don't. So I started investigating it, and... I uh, found out what we're doing. I asked questions. Uh, why did God select these particular stones? Why did he arrange them in this specific order? Why did he assign specific stones to specific tribes or particular tribes? Uh, 
Never content to just let sleeping words lie on the page there, I went out and started investigating until my curiosity was satisfied. As it turns out, the scripture references several precious or semi-precious stones, and while I knew that they were valuable gems with a vitreous, that means glass-like luster, I really didn't have any intimate knowledge of... Um, I didn't have any intimate knowledge of them because, you know, as a former teacher, I simply couldn't afford them. Okay, the rocks are expensive. Um, I suspected that it's something maybe similar to, true for you. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this as a show-and-tell sort of presentation. I'm going to use a PowerPoint presentation. I've got, as I said, several sets of rocks here that I'm going to pass around let you examine. actually have some first-hand experience with the rocks themselves, see what they are, um, and see what happens. So, uh, Rick, at this time, I want you to rock my world. Okay. It's going to be a short presentation if this doesn't work. Well, anyway, in the handouts that you, okay, uh, in the bulletin, uh, they put in uh, some handout materials that I gave you. This is a lot of information here on the stones themselves, on the background to it, the history. Uh, there's a summary sheet or two in there about the roles of uh, the 12 tribes of where they fall today. All sorts of information here in this uh, two-page handout. Keep this, bring it back on the 31st, because we're going to continue this as I said uh, at that time. Okay. When I sent this to Brian, he sent me a note back that says that the PowerPoint presentations are not 100% faithful. Uh, sorry, the program we're using is not 100% faithful to the PowerPoint. So that explains some of the confusion that we have here. Uh, yeah, uh, obsidian or on, uh, onyx or uh, several different. There are several different stones that are black. Uh, speaking of, uh, obsidian is one, onyx is one, something called shungite is one, uh, jet is one. There are all lots. There are several black stones that are possible. Well. Okay, um, I'll improvise uh, here. Uh, a bit. It turns out 
that although scripture refers to the jewels and precious stones throughout its text, and with more than 1,700 references in the King James Version alone, the most del uh, deliberate clusterings of such jewels occur in only three specific passages that I'd like to event go through eventually. Uh, first passage is in uh, Exodus 28 and repeated in uh, Exodus 39. These describe the 12 stones that are embedded in the, uh, the breastplate of the high priest, which is what we're going to be talking about today. There's a second passage in Ezekiel 28. Um, that was good. Ready to go? Okay, good. Okay. Well, there we go. Okay, so this is going to be an examination of uh, your right. Okay. Okay. You're right, Rick, that black uh, is hard to read from here anyway. So it's going to be an examination of the stones in Aaron's breastplate, um, the um, family traits of the 12 tribes. This is what I'll talk about on the 31st uh, as well. And uh, the significance uh, in the breastplate of the high priest. The nine stones that God used to uh, adorn Lucifer. That will be the third section. And then the fourth section will be the stones that comprise the 12 foundations of New Jerusalem. Okay, so that's our, that's our plan for our uh, mini-series or whatever. Okay, start off. Okay, this is what I just told you, that there are over 1,700 um, citations in the King James, but they're all in the basically three passages, Exodus 28 and 39. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 21. Okay, all of this is in your handout sheets, I believe. All right, so let's begin with the attire of the high priest himself. Okay, what does it look like? The breastplate of the high priest. Okay, now uh, Brian has set this up so we can see a little video here um, that I had planned for. It's a very, it's only about, it's about, the part I'll show is about four minutes or so, four and a half minutes or so long. And what it has to do with is the entire process of the, of the season. This is all based upon uh, Exodus 28. So here we go, the priestly garment. Enjoy this. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple, of scarlet and fine twined linen with cunning work. 
It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. That becomes very important. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And thou shalt make ouches of gold and two chains of pure gold at the ends. Of wreathen work shalt thou make them and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod thou shalt make it, of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreathen work of pure gold. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And thou shalt put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains thou shalt fasten in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate in the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. And two other rings of gold thou shalt make, and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath, toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof unto the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel before the Lord continually. And thou shalt make... All right. Isn't that interesting? It's a very insightful 
little video on uh, the, the press. I've never seen it made as clear as that one. Is. So what does this attire look like? Well, the video that we just saw pretty much gives a pretty detailed description of what the garments of, of the high priest look like. As best as I can figure out, the ephod is rather like what we call a tunic today. Uh, it's made from a single piece of linen with holes cut into it for the head and arms, and, and the edges of the holes will be embroidered so it doesn't unravel. On the shoulders of the ephod are fixed epaulets, uh, shoulder pads, uh, and one on each shoulder. And on each of those are two onyx stones engraved with the names of Israel's twelve sons. It listed important words here, according to their birth. That means in birth order. Six names listed on each of the of the two onyx stones. Now we wouldn't think that birth order um, would be so confusing, but there are at least twenty different listings of the children of Israel in Scripture, and at least one scholar to de uh, defend each or, or argue for each listing. I favor the birth order listing in Genesis 30, since that's what the uh, Exodus 28 description seems to indicate. However, I can also accept the birth order listing by mother sort as well, because that would give uh, honor or recognition to the mothers themselves. If so, if you uh, if you sort by mother first, then you have all of Leah's children in on one stone, and all the rest of them on the other stone. Okay. Um, I can accept that as well, because that honors the marriages. Second, the breastplate itself is relatively small. It's only one span in length by one span wide. And it's all made of cloth. It's not some great armored shield that protects the high priest from slings and arrows, but it's a memorial that just fits exactly in front of the high priest as he enters into the holy place. All right, these are the scriptures, references. That we, this is uh, the, uh, and these are the passages, uh, Exodus 28, 4 through um, 30. And we, he just read those as he was going through. By the way, the version of the Bible that he was using was the Revised Standard Version. So what does the attire look like? We just saw a good example of it. This is the, the, the priest himself here on the left. And you see he's got the turban or the uh, mitre the, on, on top. He's got the breastplate in front. He's got the, the, the tunic there in, in front of it um, that he's wearing. Uh, and here's the point I want you to be aware of. It's not really a breastplate. It's not really a breastplate. It's rather a breast pouch instead. Uh, this is, uh, come on, there we go, all right, uh, Exodus 28, 15 to 16 says, you shall make a breast pocket, is how the, uh, the modern King James Version says, of judgment, skill work like the 
a work of the ephod, you shall make it out of gold and blue and purple and crimson and bleached of twine linen that you shall make it, and it shall be square, being double. It's length of a span and it's width of a span. Now that confused me at the beginning until I figured out what it's trying to talk about. It was the original cloth was 18 by 9 about 18 by 9 inches long. And then you fold it double, that's what it means, and it makes a square pouch, which is one span wide and one span tall. Is that clear what's happening here? And then you seal the two pieces together, and it makes a little pouch where you put the unum and the thunum. Okay? Um, come on. And you shall put in the breast pocket of the judgment, the Urim and the Thunim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goes in before Jehovah, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the sons of Israel upon his heart before uh, Jehovah continually. So, they wanted it here close to his heart, so it would be remind him that these are judgment stones that we're working about. Okay. Let's catch on where I am. All right, so the phrase doubled into a square, here suggests that the rich material was 9 by 18 and was then folded into a 9 by 9 square with a folded portion becoming the back side of the pouch and all the edges were embroidered to prevent unraveling. Okay. Now, um, interestingly enough, what that does is that since this is a square pouch in front and you're going to have four rows of three stones each, and it, that means then that the stones must be longer than they are wide, so they can fit inside the pouch. Turns out there's a really neat little thing that happens. If this will work, how to create a four by three table from, of all things, the Star of David. Okay, so here we go. Uh, first thing you do. This is geometry now, for those who needed to see it. Uh, the first thing you do is. You draw a line. Come on, fingers work right. There we go. Draw a line on paper, put a dot in the middle of it, then take a compass, place the point of the compass at that point you just drew, and then strike an arc and draw a circle. Like that. That's the first thing you do. Then, with the same setting, you put the compass point where the line intersects the circle, and strike an arc over on the right-hand side, strike an arc on the left-hand side, like that. Do the same thing from the other one. If it's a compass point here, strike an arc here, and strike an arc here, and that gives you the six key points that make a Star of David. Connect them up into two overlapping triangles like that, and there's your Star of David. And we'll see how it works, how to produce one. Now, here's the neat thing. If you take that Star of David, draw a line through the, uh, here through the center like this, then it divides the Star of David into one, two, three, four rows. It also, if you connect this point and this point together and this point and this point together, it also makes three columns. So we end up getting a nice little four by three ta table uh, from the Star of David. So inside the breastplate of the high priest is embedded a Star of David. Hmm. There's one here behind it. Okay, so here's what the hell they are arranged. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm, let me go ahead and pass these that round so you can begin to see. I've got some sets of stones here for you, and I'm going to see how these work. So here's this for this group, and start here for this group, and here for this group. 
these are sets of stones. They are arranged in order. Find the one where there's a red stone in the upper right-hand corner, and you'll have the right orientation. Okay. So, what are the stones? In the upper uh, right-hand corner, you have a red stone there. Sardius is what the King James Version calls it. It's translated in different versions as either ruby or carnelian. The stone that I have in, in the box here for you, the red stone in the upper right-hand corner, is the carnelian. The next one over is the topaz, uh, is what is, is King James says, but uh, it's, tra it's tra translated as olivine or uh, beryl or, uh, in, uh, or, or peridot in uh, some of the other scriptures. In the upper left-hand side, Another deep red stone. This one is called a car, uh, carbuncle. Carbuncle is actually a term for an anomaly on the skin. Uh, so this one is named after the shape of that stone. Uh, it translates in modern terms, it is a red garnet, but some uh, translations make, try to make it into an emerald. But the true tr translation is red garnet. Because emerald is used as the first stone on the uh, uh, second row. By the way, I just noticed I'm saying first stone as the one to the far right. That's because in Hebrew we read from the right to the left. And we sometimes get the order of the stones wrong because we don't take that into consideration. With that codicil in mind, it makes it a whole lot easier. We can place the stones pretty easily. So this one, it should be emerald. But sometimes we, uh, it will be translated as turquoise, sometimes as jade. In the second row, second position, we have sapphire. Yeah, that's where it should be sapphire. But the sap uh, sapphire uh, is a deep blue stone. Sometimes we use lapis lazuli instead. In the third position on the, on the second row is diamond. Diamond's awfully hard, so we so, will sometimes use clear quartz instead. Third row, uh, the, the liger. Now that word liger occurs only here in the description of the stones in the in the breastplate of the um, of the high priest. It doesn't occur anywhere else in scripture, so we really have no cross reference for what it is. So uh, the modern translation, the best we can figure out it is, is uh, something called uh, rubellite or uh, red tourmaline, tourmaline, okay? Uh, and that's what this one is. Now, the second translation that's sometimes used is jacinth, and jacinth in modern language is a uh, red zircon. Um, you'll also see opal sometimes used. This is either a red or a pink stone, usually, one of the two. In the third row, middle position, we have agate. Now, there are so many different forms of agate, it's not funny. So uh, there's at least 15 different forms that I have found of, of, of agate. Agate's noted by bands along the way. In the third position, in the third row, is amethyst. This is a lavender or deep purple stone. And you'll see, if you pass these around, to, when you look through them, you saw there were the, each of these different kinds of stones. Here in the... Boy, that's hard to read, too. Uh, this one, it should be beryl, and beryl includes uh, several different kinds of stone. It could be golden beryl, but it could also be um, like uh, aquamarine uh, or 
uh, Morgan Knight or uh, several other different uh, uh, stones along along the way. Um, for the emerald, in fact, is included in this group. Uh, onyx uh, or uh, sword onyx uh, here uh, is, is in this thir in this position, center, bottom row, and then the last one is probably red jasper. There are many, many different kinds of jaspers as well. They're red, brown, or yellow stones. Okay? So that's where they are. Uh, I think that's in your handout sheet as well. Okay, so we can see what we're going on. All right. So notice that there are different uh, stones used in position. Why? Why would there be alternate stones? Well, it turns out that... Um, the stones that we have in these positions are not not consistent. Let me see what. Okay, in fact, if if you look go through the analysis, this is where I found out. This is a complete analysis of of like eight different uh, versions of the Bible as to what stones are in what position, and I've summarized it here for you uh, in in this column in the. In the first position, ruby, sardis, or carnelian is that one. Topaz, chrysolite, or ovaline, peridot is in this one. Carbuncle, which is modern red, sometimes it's translated emerald, as I said. In the second row, emerald or turquoise. Uh, sapphire, uh, lapis lazuli uh, is here. Uh, diamond in this one. Uh, Jason, ligure, uh, opal, uh, agate, amethyst. Barrel, chrysolite, uh, onyx, and jasper there. Okay, again, most of these are just words to you. That's why I brought the crystals so you can actually see what they look like along the way. Hold on. And they're not in order. Hold on. There we go. Okay. No. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, why do we have the alternate stones? Well, it turns out that the stones are very, very hard. In fact, they're so hard that they would not be um, engravable um, with, uh, with the tools of the day. Okay, uh, let's see. Exodus 28:21 says, And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their name, uh, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. So what that means in common language is, God instructed them to engrave the names of the twelve children of Israel on each of the stones before they were put into it. Here's the problem. Some of the, some of the stones were far too hard to engrave with the tools and techniques of that age. Diamond, for example, the hardest natural substance known to man with a Mohs hardness of 10 can be engraved only with a laser. Do you have lasers back then? Okay. The corundum group, which is a hardness of 9 on the Mohs scale, consisting primarily of rubies and sapphires, can be engraved only with a laser or diamond. The barrel group, including topaz, aquamarine, morganite, emerald, as well as semi-barrel such as chrysolite and chrysopase, uh, a hardness of 7.5 to 8.5 can be engraved only with a diamond, ruby, sapphire, or laser. 
generally a stone that could be, could be engraved using the tools of the age to have could have a hardness of no more than seven on the Mohs scale. This is Mohs hardness scale on here. Ah, back up, back up, back up. This is the Mohs hardness scale. The diamond is ten. Corundum, which is rubies and sapphires, nine. Topaz group, which is topaz, beryl, aquamarine, emerald, uh, rhodonite, etc. Uh, H. Um, the quartz group here. Uh, and then this is the point where you can see a break. This is a high carbon steel blade, a knife blade, uh, that will scratch anything below it, but will not scratch these above. All the stones that we have are from six up. Turquoise is the lowest level one that we have on the, on the group. Uh, most of them are in this group from seven up. So they're too hard. They're too hard to engrave with a normal thing. So generally a stone could be engraved with tools of the age would have to have a hardness of no more than seven on the Mohs scale, assuming, of course, that the ancient alien astronaut theory is an error and that the ancient Israelites did not have access to lasers or little green men to tell them how to use them. Okay. Uh, consequently, many scholars suggest that um, uh, instead they were use, using, uh, we should use the close relatives of those stones instead of the more expensive cousins. Clear quartz, for example, was a good substitute for diamond, lapis lazuli for sapphire, sardis and carnelian for ruby, olivine or uh, chrysophase for topaz, uh, turquoise for emerald, and red garnet for carbuncle. Now, we know the stones, and we now, once we know the order of the stone, we can then assign them to the appropriate tribe uh, with relative certainty, for the names of the tribe were listed in birth order, and they were on the, they were signets. So God gives us pretty straightforward instructions. However, some scholars want to associate the stones with the tribes in the battle camping order, or as in Numbers 2 and 3, contrary to what was stated in Exodus 28. I follow the uh, Exodus 28 injunction, uh, rather, and let's see. Uh, that's for later. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. Here's the birth order of the children of Israel. Okay. If you remember the story correctly, uh, Leah gave birth to the first four children before Rachel uh, even got out of the gate. Uh, and then uh, Rachel was having difficulty, so she sent in her uh, slave girl, Bella, uh, to, and, uh, to uh, Israel, and he gave, she gave birth to Dan and Naphtali. Uh, then the Leah took up the same idea, sent in her slave girl, um, which is Zilpah, and, and so... Israel father Gad and Asher by her. Then Leah uh, becomes active again and gives birth to Issachar and Zebulun, as well as Dinah, the only daughter uh, in, from Israel. And finally, Rachel comes in and father uh, gives birth to Joseph and Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth with Benjamin. Okay. Uh, Joseph later. Uh, takes oh, an Egyptian wife, Asenus, uh, the daughter of uh, Potiphera, priest of An, and fathers uh, Manasseh and Ephraim by her. But then 
Jacob later adopts him and uh, reverses the order of, of the birth. And I run out of time. About. Okay, so here's the summary so far. Here's the summary so far. Leah, uh, father's uh, word, the, the, here's the stones that go along with it. This is in your handout sheet. Here's Bella uh, for the next two, Silpa for the next two. Leah then comes back with two more, and Rachel uh, ends it up, uh, finishes it out. Okay, that's your order of birth order. Now, here's the thing. The birth order changes. The birth order changes. Because this is the natural birth order. But if we consider the adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh, how does that change the assignments? Now, here's the difference. Okay, here's the natural birth order that I just went through. If you do it by mother sort first, then look what happens. All of Leah's children come first, put on one of the um, onyx stones at the beginning, and they're in the first two rows of the, um, uh, the breastplate. Then all the other uh, children in birth order are listed on the other, other uh, amulet. What do the stones look like? This is what they look like. This is what I just passed around to you. All right, these are the different uh, ones. Here's the, this is the uh, carnelian. This is topaz or peridot here. This is garnet. This is the emerald. This is lapis lazuli. Instead of the uh, sapphire, as I said, because the sapphire is too hard to engrave. This is uh, crystal, uh, clear quartz, uh, because the diamond's too hard to engrave. This one is jacinth, uh, which is the red zircon today. Uh, this one is the uh, agate. This is the um, uh, amethyst. This one is golden barrel, and these are uh, other kinds of barrels here. There's aquamarine. Um, let's see, that's uh, morganite and uh, chrysobel as well. This is onyx here in the middle and jasper on the end. So that's what the stones look like in that configuration. And the um, uh, revised configuration, things change a little, a little bit, and we see that the stones are still here. And I am out of time. So I'll have to continue this at a later date. So next installment will be on the 31st, and then we'll continue the whole thing uh, repeated during the feast. Hope it gives you some insight into what the stones were. And looking forward, one of the things I'm going to do is to show you the connection between the stones that were there and the tribes that they were assigned to. Why were they assigned to those tribes? What did that mean? My hypothesis is, that because uh, there's no real reason, I've looked through all the scriptures, there's no reason for it. So my hypothesis is that the stones have personalities as well, and that the personality of the stone was designed to help out the tribe that it was assigned to, either to overcome a weakness or to provide a strength of reinforcement for the tasks that they would have later on. Things to look forward to.